Show presents Scratch It Trailer. The podcast where we debate which track to scratch off some of the most known and unknown albums of all time. We live in an era of singles. This is an album. People no longer listen to an album for the work it truly is. It kind of defines a man. It's just not something that people relate to nowadays. We've all gotten the dreaded. Started out as a game. Which track on the album would you scratch out if you had to? Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of the Scratch the Track Podcast presented by the Dune Grim Show and co-produced by IVEST. I am the Dude. And I'm Grim. And today, dude, hold it up. We are going to talk about Remain in Light by Talking Heads. I wish I was Which holding is- that one up too, but I have not pulled the trigger yet, although I want to. Hey, I just pulled it like three days ago but they had it and i was like i'm not i'm not passing it up yeah i'm gonna do it it's a really good album fourth album by talking heads dude released in 1980 1980. (laughs) yeah 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 no that's that's uh that's pretty interesting and it you know it it said here that this was the final i believe album that uh brian eno produced with the talking yeah and and also that there was hesitance of him to work with them at first and then what is it that he went down to bahamas where um the caribbean yeah yep yeah chris france and uh the bait uh tino uh waymouth uh, they're uh i guess they were married and they were they went down there they got done with their tour in 79 and everybody just needed a break because well, they kind of so blew they, up yeah yeah, yeah, I think so. And so they took a vacation to the Caribbean and kind of decided not, not only like, hey, what are we doing with the band? What are we doing with the marriage? Because they were a little, yeah, little sure. tired of uh, David Byrne. I guess they were kind of saying he's uh, he was pretty controlling. And yeah. um, they, I think they felt like <clears throat> they were sort of his backing band. And that's just not exactly what they really wanted to do. They, sure. they wanted to be more more of a part of things. and. And then I guess, um, you know, David Byrne was doing his stuff. Well, he was working on a solo album. It sounded like Brian Eno with Brian Eno. Yeah. And once he heard some of the demos that they have, it sounds like interest was peaked and there they went. So it was some of it was done in the Bahamas um, and the rest in Philadelphia, New York at Sigma Sound, which I guess was a real rock and roll town. Oh, yeah. Philly. Yeah. And uh, I guess that studio was was uh, known normally to have like kind of soul stuff or whatever. Like they weren't they weren't the typical band that it wasn't was going to come into that <laughs> studio to work. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I think the way they at least what I sort of heard was when they were down in the Bahamas, it was more of their you know they were experimenting and they were really trying to yeah. kind of do some different stuff and incorporating. Um, I guess it was more of a, you know, Nigerian, uh, you know, Afrobeat man, Fela Kuti. Yeah, exactly. That dude. Yeah. Now there's something that I wanted to mention with this album. That's interesting is when I, I've been listening to this album for many years, but I had not read about it. Like we do when we kind of do our homework for the podcast. When we, when we do, but, 
I had come upon an artist via NPR named Angelique Cujo, and she's an African artist. And dude, she actually covered the whole album. Dude. Because in what she was saying was that this music is is based on, it's not a copy, but it's based on African music. And so for that, she wanted, she did a version that if it was like more like Fela Kuti would have recorded this album, that's what her version is like. And I've listened to her whole, her whole album of it. And it's, Hmm. it's really interesting to hear someone with that perspective do a take on the album. I thought it was cool. Dude, that, that is, I'd really like to check that out. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, kind of the story of this album a little bit sort of reminded me, and we've, we've done a scratch on this album, um, so please, everyone, go back and look at it. Um, but the Arcade Fire's Reflector, how oh. they really incorpor- they incorporated, you know, the Haitian sound mm-hmm. um, to w- with that album. Now, but what they did though is they did it in a way where it, it it was an accent to the music. It wasn't completely done like in that they still had kind of their sound and their thing. Yeah. But they they incorporated those elements into it, which I think you know you know they were able to blend it together nicely, and I think you know Talking, Talking Heads were really yeah. able to to do that here. Um, and it sounded like that you know a lot of the work that they did down in the Caribbean <clears throat> is where you know they were doing a lot of recording and the loops and things yeah. that they were coming up with, and and then when they went kind of into the city, whether um, you know back in Philly. I think that's where David put in a lot of his. He put in a lot of the vocals and the lyrics. Well, yeah, because um, I guess he and, had a lot and of the guitar block. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess he did have a lot of writer's block too. But it was um, it's interesting because he also described them working as like this was almost like primitive sampling, where they were like human samplers, where they would record them doing a bunch of grooves. And from that groove, they'd get a little section they'd like, and then they'd have yeah. to learn how to do this and and make it repetitious and make it sticky and, you know, like really get in on that groove. Well, and I think they said like the basic tracks really, they focus, like you were saying, like it focused on rhythm and, and yeah. essentially like use, using one chord a lot of the time. Well, yeah, and, and said, when you right? listen to the songs, they do that because the, the chord <clears throat> is like this constant throughout and then the vocals kind of make it go different places to me. But like the, the basis of the instrumentation is often pretty much the same. Um you know, as, as they go through things, but it's, it makes an interesting sound that I just, you know, that, that is, that does pull like from, you know, like the Fela Kuti and a lot of that Nigerian, um, a lot of the Nigerian, I don't want to say dance-ish music, but there's a, there's an interesting album that I would urge people to listen to if you haven't already called Nigeria 70. And it's like, to me, it's like listening to the raw music that inspired this album. That that whole record, which is various artists, not just Fela Kuti, but like various okay. artists, and it's it's really worth listening to. Sweet. Well, you know, there was one thing, and I don't know if you saw this or had this in your notes at all. I'm curious if you know about this piece of equipment, the the Lexicon 220 Digital Reverb. Dude, I do, Um, actually. Um, I've I've never used a Lexicon Reverb. I've never owned a Lexicon Reverb, but I know that when it came out, 
That reverb unit was like the absolute shit in studios. It's a BFD, huh? Because it was, it just did things. It was the first unit that was able to mimic environments and and do it in a way that was like a faithful reproduction. Yeah, yeah, that that sounds like it would be uh, um, something something that people would want. <laughs> oh, dude, I've I've heard people talk about. It. I mean, there's still I, I haven't. I mean, I could go on eBay, but I'm telling you, there is still probably a huge market for used lexicon units from that time period because they're so iconic with that sound now. Right. Just like some of the old drum machines of the eighties. I mean, stuff that like was <laughs> was great then, but now the 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 market on them is insane because how many of them are still around and in good shape? Right. Like people will yeah. pay to get these things totally revamped and refurbished because they're, you know, they don't make them like that anymore. Like everyone would say, don't make it like they used to. Yeah. You. Um, <clears throat> I also, one of the things that I saw and noticed that, um, like he, what did he do? So, they uh, who's the guitarist? They brought in a different guitarist. They recruited guitarist. Oh, dude, Adrian Andrew, Blue. I was going to talk Adrian about Blue. Adrian Blue. Okay, now, all right. As far as I know, Adrian Blue just played a lot of the solos, and he was famous in his own yeah. right. By this time, he had been working, or maybe not by this time, but he had he had worked with Frank Zappa. He ended up going with King Crimson in the eighties and stuff. And I mean, he was a very accomplished guitarist in his own right. But that sound. Um, yeah. and, and it's funny because from what I read, they just label it the Roland guitar synthesizer. And so when you look that up, dude, Roland has made guitar synthesizers throughout the Roland. years. Some of them are embedded in the guitar itself. Others are like pedal units. And a lot of those sounds that he makes, I could probably make by plugging my guitar through these synthesizers. But like, dude, that sound at that time. I mean, think about that. I am. This this was like before Tom Morello, you know, like all right. the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I just I feel like when people heard that, I mean it's like it, it's like his guitar went Atari. Yeah, no a hundred percent. There is some stuff in and I have that in some of my notes for some of these songs. I'm like, wow. Like that. Oh, is just in the beginning of Board Under Punches. I mean yeah, shit, dude. Straight up video games, yeah. man. And it's so. it's really cool and interesting, but I couldn't find definitively what version of that he used, but he did go on tour with them, and I mm-hmm. believe he was probably still on tour with them when they did the um uh the documentary that I own this, um Stop Making Sense, and I told you to yeah. watch it. But yeah, yeah, in the Stop Making Sense, and dude, they get Bernie Warall, who used to be in Parliament Funkadelic playing keyboards. I mean, they they like brought a bunch of people in when they right. when they toured. But yeah. Um. Well, I don't know if we want to kind of get into it. You want to get into the album, Graham? Yeah. The only thing that I I thought thing. might also be worth noting um, was kind of how some of the vocals were done because we talked about how like a lot of the tapes were done in loops and they acted as their Mm -hmm. own samplers and i swear as you listen to it sometimes i feel like you can hear the loops a little bit yeah i'm yeah i remember you saying that yeah um but yeah it it just i i was really interested to to hear that 
they listened to and took modern at that time modern hip hop which would have been really early early stuff but like as kind of a cue uh that the lyrics needed to change that like a song didn't need to be like this one very specific story or something and the lyrics were kind of disjointed and rhymed yeah, in a certain abstract way and, and yeah. Kinda, yeah yeah yeah, yeah like stream of to... consciousness it, that that was interesting to me because when you listen to them it's sometimes it's hard to really deduce like what is what is this song about like once in a lifetime the hit is probably the <clears throat> easiest one because it's like you, you just go through life and and you're kind of uh, i think david Byrne said like on autopilot and then you find yourself in these places and you're like how the hell did i get here Damn, I've been on autopilot for years. Dude, so. I hear you. Yeah. So yeah, um, I, I guess with that, I'm I'm totally good to get into the tracks. I just I felt like that was an interesting point. Oh, what about the I cover? The cover. The cover. Um. So you should have seen the cover, the cover they wanted to do. The, the cover they wanted. Now this is one thing that I found interesting was I I was under the impression that this was was the initial front yeah. cover but on the album at least that i have here no uh, that's that's this, the cover yeah yeah this is it and they obviously you know their faces are are on it um and then they took some very i don't know like dude microsoft paint probably wasn't even a thing like extremely that, primitive and, yeah yeah very primitive um, and obviously covered the colored their faces. I did read somewhere. I don't know where it was that apparently Brian Eno felt like he was so much of a part of things. He felt like he should be on the cover. It looks like nope. they decided not to go that route. No, nope. um, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Brian. Nice name, but no, <laughs> um, <clears throat> but yeah, dude. I, um, and I and think that, they, they said that, that they worked with someone from MIT to do that, the computerized stuff. And it's interesting yeah. because that was, I believe listed as one of the first albums to have like a computerized, uh, image in the cover. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Right. It is. No, it, it's, it is it's very totally cool. primitive, but I, I like it. Cause I think there was, there was some critic who said like the cover, completely uh goes against what the name of the title is but because the way their faces are covered they the the band would not in fact remain in light exactly you know it's like you become one with the band yeah there's there's no division no there's no division yes yeah yeah so getting into the tracks um we'll uh we'll go with side one i mean i think it's a good place to start Mm -hmm. um and we 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 talked about this song already a little bit but uh born under punches the heat goes on um dude like right away when you put this on you're like whoa this is this is going to be different like and and, dude it's so sticky that's that's what i love about it like to me the whole like especially the first side with with born under punches cross-eyed and painless and the great curve like it's sticky man like those the way the guitar is played uh it it just Mm -hmm. it's easy to get in that groove i feel like it is dude uh, and this one is just such a funky song man like holy hell like it just i you know before i started listening to this and, and this is i mean i had heard you know some of the songs i'd listened to the album but I got to admit, I hadn't given it the attention that it deserved. 
And I'm glad to hear sitting that. down, you know, sitting down. I mean, that's why I picked it up because I was like, man, like even the first couple of times I listened to it, I was like, okay, okay. But then something, I don't know, something clicks, know. man. And it, and it and it definitely draws you in. And um, I think it, I think part of it is those loops. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but I think, dude, we talked about the the computer and the digital sounds and the Mar- like Mario Brothers. Oh like, yeah, that that's you know that's really what did it. And now you're saying those sounds is what what he did with Adrian his Blue. um yeah yeah yeah, and that's just guitar though. Is, yeah, you, but he was using this through, the the Roland guitar synthesizer, and like I okay, said, I what, looked that up, and dude, there are various people have had them built into guitars or it's a huge pedal setup with expression pedals and right it, it's it's interesting though because when i and, and i also watched some videos of adrian blue making these amazing sounds not using this guitar synthesizer just using like a slide and some various pedals and you know, yeah. what it really to me is like a precursor to like like the Tom Morello sound Tom Morello, and all that sure. stuff. It it just it uses the guitar in a, a unique and interesting way. Um but it's yeah, I, I like it when you hear it. It's like you're kinda like <laughs> I I've never heard nothing like that yeah, before. <laughs> yep. I yeah. did not see that coming. But one thing that's interesting is how the vinyl is cut up. And before, I'm just going to make a general comment about the album as a whole. Sure. To me, after Once in a Lifetime, the album slows down. And it oh, just keeps tr- slowing down until the end. And I see with the times of the songs that there's no way they could have cut it differently. But in my head, Once in a Lifetime is the halfway mark. Because it yeah. slows down dramatically after that. Yeah, yeah, no, it definitely does. It definitely but does. Anyways, <laughs> well, track number two on side one, uh, cross-eyed and painless, um, dude. This one again, it's it's kind of it's a wild kind of song, uh, dude. Lots of different percussion. There's like cowbell loops, oh, yeah. congas, bells. You want to know what it what it really? The, when I heard this song. It really reminded me of LCD Sound System. Oh, like for sure, I could see that. Especially the song "Sound of Silver." That's the one that that really stuck with me Um, when I heard this song and kind of listening to "Sound of Silver." Just sort of the elements and the way things. So many layers, and and one thing uh, LCD Sound System. I love the way that they do things. Is they slowly build stuff over time. And all of a yeah, sudden, yeah. You, you don't realize, like, oh my god, holy shit! There's like so much going on right mm-hmm. now, and um, I just really, I just saw so much influence in that song and kind of the mu- their music oh, from I can see this that for sure. So yeah, that was my b- big takeaway from this. That's track. my. This is my favorite song off the album. Oh, is it? Spoiler okay. alert! Yeah. Oof. Ooh. All right, man. I I didn't pick a favorite song, but oh. to be honest. Number just, one, I mean, it's hard to beat number one too. Born. I mean, dude. Not, I mean, I love, I love the album. I, I, but side one to me is just killer. I know, just killer. Know. And killer. you go into the great curve, and dude, the great curve really has the congas and the alternate percussion mm-hmm. and all those other drums. Like, and I like how fast it is. I mean, it is. Yeah. It is real yeah. fast. Real. They're very fast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh 
But yeah, again, this is one of those songs where I was like, you know, the rhythm kind of is straightforward and consistent, but there, it, but it comes in as so many layers, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and they, uh, you know, layer the background vocals really nice, and his yeah, vocals are are, are are layered layered as well. But there's that dude. There's that guitar solo, kind of in the yeah. middle. It sort of comes out of nowhere, and it's a little jarring because yeah, it's, it is. It's, there's something kind of just but really you should have expected just, it by now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I know what you mean. What were you waiting for? And so then you flip uh, the record, and and that's that's what's trippy to me is I guess I, dude, once in a lifetime. I mean, for me, yeah, like I said, now not not having the vinyl yet, um, I it just seems more natural to flip it after once in a lifetime. But at this time, you are the yeah. The, you know, you're you're only able to do what the constraints of the medium allow, That's which true. is flip it into once in a lifetime, which is an awesome yeah. the hit. Yeah. And Dude. did make it on Rolling Stones top five hundred songs. It did. Probably it did. not high enough, but dude, Probably it's not. there. Yep. Dude, did you see that uh Robert Palmer plays a guitar and percussion on this song? Uh Robert yeah. Robert, Robert Palmer. Palmer, like um, simply irresistible. Robert Palmer. I imagine. I, I mean, there's probably more than one, but but I think so. I don't know, dude. Robert Palmer is pretty. Let's look. That's what it said. No, I'm gonna look too, but I, I'm pretty okay. Oh, that's yeah, that's definitely him. But I'm gonna. So while you're looking that up, one thing that I found interesting is, dude. So. Brian Eno did not like the first note of the bass line on on this song as it was originally recorded. So he re-recorded it himself. And then they got back to New York. And when Eno left the studio, uh, Weymouth went and put her bass line in again. And then, uh, yeah, I, I just thought that was, wow. that was really, really kind of funny. So, yeah, that um, is Robert Palmer from Addicted to Love and Simply Irresistible, two both huge 80s hits. Yes. Anyways. Now, have you seen the video for this song? Oh, yeah, Once in a Lifetime? Oh, hells yeah, yeah, yeah. son. Okay. Oh, I mean, I, I figured you'd seen it, but yeah, you've seen it recently trippy. and remember it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and that's the thing. He's got like those shoulder pads in his suit, kind of. And when you see him, when did you watch remain or not remain in light? Did you watch? The, um, I watched Stop the, the documentary. Stomach. I watched a lot of it. I well, did you say. watch how the yeah. concert starts? Because that's what I thought was cool about it. Like he comes out in that suit with the big shoulders, and he comes out with a boombox. And he has a mic on the floor and a mic on his guitar and, and or maybe his mm-hmm. guitar, but it's an acoustic. And he plays yeah. the the boombox and it plays a beat and he plays to that and sings. And then eventually a guitarist comes out and a bass player comes out and the drummer comes out. And then Bernie Worrell comes out and Adrian Blue, like all these people in the background singers. And by like three songs in or four songs in, they got like the whole huge touring Everybody. band. Everybody. But it's such a cool way to start it because it's like just him in that weird, awkward weird. suit where it almost looks like he has a little head like a Beetlejuice head. <laughs> you know? Beetlejuice. Yep. Yeah. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know. I just, dude, really innovative band and 
person. Very innovative. Um, so moving on. Houses in motion. Yeah. Um, yeah to me, this so, is where the album slows. Sure. Um, this like isn't the slowest. Off the album. It, yeah. This no, is it's a, de- definitely not. What was the first one? Uh, was it Once in a Lifetime or Cross-Eyed I, and I Painless? I believe it was. Oh, was Cross-Eyed and Painless. Cross-Eyed and Painless. Yeah. 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 And then Once in a um, Lifetime. And then yeah. this one. Yeah, I feel like this one has like a kind of a funky, a real oh, funky yeah. intro, you know, really thick sound. It kind Wait. of does remind me a little bit of like the NBA Jam theme, sort of a little bit, but. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah that's like that. really awesome. Um, You know, the vocals, I felt, are they're he very more front like and speaks s- them. Yeah, yeah. And he'll do that um, yeah. in, in some of these songs, too. Like even even with uh, what do you call it? Um, Once in a lifetime, it was almost like he's yep, giving a sermon. Yep. Is kind of how it's been described. Well, yeah, and I, I hear that once once somebody like pointed that out, I'm like, I get it. He's he's really you know, yeah, most most definitely. Now I will say with this one, isn't this the one where he talks about like like the? It sounds like it's this person in the United States, and they see these foreigners coming in and getting jobs and. If you listen to the lyrics, I'm pretty okay. sure it's either this one or, or seen and not seen. But it's it's interesting because it talks about it as like the perspective of this person who feels like they're, you know, that this is their home, their country. And then they see these foreigners coming in and getting just just listen to the lyrics. And, and uh, okay. yeah, I will. Next time I give it a spin. Yeah. Well, so talking about yeah, I mean talking about the thing with seen and not seen is that song is really that's kind of telling a story of uh you know basically it's about a you know kind of like a guy not having like the face that he imagined. Yeah, and yeah. That, it's it's really it's really about people probably not exactly um having the lives that they imagine. Oh, sure. Not, you know, who you know who they are. Um but I think some of the lyrics although although some people uh might have made mistakes they may have arrived at an appearance that bears that bears no relationship to them. Yeah. So it's kind of like all of a sudden you wake you know, you start yeah. going down this path how and then you wake up myself? one day. How am I not myself? Yeah. How am I not myself? How am I not myself? Well, it's it's weird because when I heard I this, um, and I I guess I didn't like read too too deep into it, but upon like initially, um looking at those lyrics and thinking about them, it almost sounded like it was uh, like about a serial killer or something, which Ooh. they already did with the song Psycho Killer, but yeah. But hey, well, there you go. Um, track number four, side two. Listening, Listening when Now, this may actually uh, be the one about the uh, the, the foreigners and stuff. I, I, it, it, I didn't take good enough notes. It's on me. Sorry. Sorry. That's my notes dude this song dude is i mean i mean the you know kind of like you said the album kind of turns and slows down but this this is where i feel like these last two songs at the end really slow yeah. down this song is dude this song is dark and haunting man yeah it there's is. just like a lot of strange sounds it just it doesn't feel like the rest of the album at all no um, you know no. they they got into sort of this you know, maybe it was when they were in the Bahamas and they, you know, lit some candles and got a little loose and they went to this like real just kind of spacey slow jam, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of like Space Jam, the movie, the Michael Jordan one. Not, yeah. Dude, yeah. Course. Not the compromise second draft. No. Um, 
So yeah, but it feels like they kind of did that and then just pulled parts parts from that yeah sure jam to to, and, to kind of and put same this thing with the last track the overload i overload. mean it, it not that dissimilar from <laughs> that at all dude the overload feels like it's cultish man we're talking oh yeah yeah oh, yeah. yeah get the yeah. punch ready i mean yeah um i don't know if you have your purple suit with the away team logo and or your black nikes but it would be time to put them on now now the uh, apple now, now. sauce and cyanide mixture is being prepared as we speak. Now, now, yeah, <laughs> like Fucking now, now the spaceships right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. but so I don't know. Oh, <laughs> uh, this is the note that I had in for this song. I was like. I feel like this is like their slow version of climbing up the walls. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Don't you think? It. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Um, but. I think that kind of gets us to it. Not kind of. It does get us to the end of the album. I could not tell you who was on the T, but I feel like you introduced me to this album. So I feel like you need to you need to scratch first. What do you how do you feel about that? Yep. Yep. Dude. 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 And doodle. I think I'm going to scratch the overload, man, because like the listening wind is slow enough. And I guess I'd rather end on that weird darkness than, than like go and drag it out for another six minutes and 25 seconds. (laughs) Shocker. Come on, man. We all knew this was Islanders capitals. We all knew it. We knew it was going there. Um, yeah, and dude, same reason, same thing. Um, I'll go ahead and just probably take us into double overtime and say I'd scratch listening wind. Okay, yeah, um, well, me you too. Know, because here, even though, yeah, the album kind of does slow down, I feel like it almost comes to a screeching halt with these last two songs. Yeah. And they're just kind of weird songs, and I don't feel like it kind of fits with everything that, that came before. Um, I agree. You know, that's that's my thing. Um, that's my B. So, well, I'm going to give another moment of silence uh, there for the double It just, yeah, it's, it's interesting because usually uh, a lot of times you hear albums being like spaced out in a certain way to kind of have ebbs and flows, but this ebbs one... And flows. There's a over there's an arch, right? Yeah. Dude, yeah. This one just kinda Yeah, and then it falls off a cliff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I really I still really like it. But yeah. Yep. Like don't be like driving it. at night and have listening wind in the overload because you <laughs> might fall asleep behind fall asleep. the wheel and hit a tree. Don't do it. <clears throat> don't do it. But awesome right. band and awesome album. And I'm glad that most people regard this as like one of the most important albums of the eighties and because I think it is. Dude, and it has such a good story. You know, we've talked about those documentaries that we watch with like Ultimate Albums. And oh, I would yeah. love, love to, oh, to yeah. see an Ultimate Albums oh, yeah. on this. It just sounds like there's a lot of stuff that went on in the background. You know, there's some yeah. friction within the band. You know, you got Brian Eno kind of putting in parts and whatnot. Like it would just be, it'd be really yeah. good to kind of just get some, uh, get some behind the scenes on this album so if you know anything about it please go ahead and comment and while you're there give us a big like subscribe and comment below because yeah we we need to know about that so i guess in the meantime it's scratch dude and it's time to go 
the on the Dune Room Show. Scratcher Track is produced by the Dune Grim. Additional music provided by Moore and the Tins. Copyright 2021. The Dune Grim Show. Ain't no mind to what you see. It's all just an illusion.